We're Missio Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. This is the second letter that we have that Paul wrote to the church in the city called Thessalonica. Can you kids say Thessalonica? That was pretty good, actually. I'm impressed. And so there's some confusing things that happen, right, in, in a letter. Because if you, I don't know if you know this. We don't really send letters as much anymore. So maybe if, like, you think about someone on a phone call and you're hearing one side of the conversation and you don't necessarily know what's being said on the other side of the conversation. And then you try to piece that conversation together. And that's kind of what these letters are like, is we have these letters that are one side of a conversation. Paul wrote specifically to a church thousands of years ago in another city far away from here. But also, the Holy Spirit inspired him to write those words to that church, and, and he protected those words so that we can continue to have them today because the Spirit of God uses those words to say something to you and I too. And so that's 100% true. This is God's word to us. But we also have to first remember also practically, it was somebody else writing a letter to a whole other group of people. And so there's gonna be some confusing things because it seems like it's very one-sided. And especially in chapter two of 2 Thessalonians, where we are today, we're gonna read the first 12 verses And Paul's trying to explain something that's very complicated. He says at one point, do you remember when I was with you and I talked to you about this? And so Paul's going under the understanding like, hey, we were already together and we had a big conversation about this, maybe many conversations about it. And now he's just writing a short little thing to remind them of that conversation. And we don't have that conversation. We weren't there. So what we're gonna try to do is take something very complicated that many smart people have been divided over and argued about the meaning of And we're going to try to look at it and go, what is God's spirit trying to say to us today? Maybe what did Paul try to say to the church in Thessalonica then? You could say it better than I did. In Thessalonica then, but also more importantly, what is God's spirit trying to say to us today? Okay? And here's kind of the basis of it. Here's the background that you need to know. And by the way, there are clipboards and some kids printouts there at that table. If you need to take some notes or you just want to color while you're listening, that's totally cool. All right. But here's a little bit of the background. It's Paul went into the city and it was a Greek city that was ruled by the Roman empire. And so the Caesar of Rome was in charge. And then there was another little like local king in charge of that little city. But it was actually a kind of a big city. It was a port city, which means all the stuff for trade came in through ships and stuff to that city. And so they had a lot of money. They had a lot of transactions going on. There was a lot of people there, people from all over the world at that time, and people with lots of different thoughts, lots of different opinions, lots of different beliefs. And so there was lots of different gods being worshiped there. And when Paul and his friends came in, Paul and Silas and Timothy, and they started telling people about Jesus and about worshiping the God of Israel and that this Jesus was the true son of God who came to be the true human and do all the things humans couldn't do and to save humans from our rebellion against God and to bring us back into connection with God. They were fine with that because they worshiped all kinds of gods. What's one more God? In fact, sometimes they would be excited about hearing about new gods. What's the new belief out there? But it wasn't until... 
that this message from Paul and his friends started saying that Jesus is the only way. That the God of Israel is the God over all other gods, over all of creation, that they started getting very angry. Because it was, it was fine when you're telling me that, hey, here's just another God that you can worship. We have a God over our crops. We have a God over supplying water. We have a God over money, all this stuff. That's great. A God over peace. What's one more God? But when you say this is the God, the God over all gods, and you're telling me I gotta, I gotta get rid of worshiping these other gods and I gotta change my whole lifestyle and completely turn it around, that's crazy. And they got so angry that they started rioting and they drove Paul and his friends out of town. And so I, I like to think of it kind of like this. I built this this morning. Steve told me I did a great job. It's, uh, I, I call this um, tower car. It's got wheels, it could drive, and it's like a, just a big block tower. I'm very proud of it. It took me 45 minutes this morning to put this together. And uh, if somebody were to come by and just like kick it and start like breaking it like Godzilla smashing on my tower car, I'd be pretty upset, right? But what if I were to ask you, hey, I want you to take this and using the same exact blocks, I want you to build something else. I want you to build like a, a house out of it. What's the first thing you would have to do? What's step number one? Take it apart, Right? I can't start building with this the way it is. I got to start taking these pieces apart. Oh man, all, that was like 10 minutes of work right there. I did, just undid it. I got to start taking these pieces apart and I got to start putting them back together and rebuilding them into this new thing, right? And so this is kind of what it meant for Jesus to come and say, I am bringing the true kingdom and I am tearing down this kingdom that you've built up, humans. These false kingdoms you've built up for yourselves trying to build a name for yourself, trying to build your own way of life. I got to tear that down so that we can rebuild this into what God intended to be. See, God gave us the building blocks of life at the beginning and he invited us to partner with him into putting it together. He gave us everything we needed for life. And he calls us to be his partners and go, I want you to care for the animals. I want you to care for all living things. I want you to care for this earth, care for one another. And here's how you start relating with one another, and even kind of setting up this way of life we could call politics, right? You know that word politic, adults? It just means the, your public life, the way you live in public, where that comes from in line. And so God's orchestrating this, this reality of like, I've given you all these building blocks. I want you to partner with me in putting it together the right way. And, but what we did is we put it together our own way. We decided, no, no, we know better. We know how to do this right. And so God needs to come in and start taking that apart. And sometimes when we read about that, when we hear about that in the Bible or we hear someone talk about that, usually we hear words like judgment or God's wrath. And we get this picture of God coming in and just kicking blocks over, right? And stomping on it. We get that picture of God just kicking blocks over and, it, and it's mean, we think. Like, oh, how could God come and do that and destroy? But no, 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 what he's doing is he is patiently working with us to tear down what we built wrongly and to put it back together the right way, the way it was meant to be. So today we're gonna to be talking about that, what we call the day of the Lord when Jesus returns to come and do that finally. So Paul would tell them about the story and we know the story starts with creation, right? Starts with God coming down and 
making all things. He makes everything out of nothing. He, he makes it good. In fact, he says it's very good. And so he, he creates everything and he makes it beautiful and he calls humans to partner with him. But we know the next part of that story is humans rebelled against him, right? They decided to build their own life, make their own choices, decide for themselves what's right and what's not right. And yet God in his mercy came and said, you know what? I will come one day and I will fix this, what you have broken. I am sending someone one day to defeat that lie that entered into your lives, to to crush the enemy, this serpent that came and lied to you, and to set all things right again, to make things right between humans and creation, humans and humans and humans and God. This relationship with all things would be made right again. And we know a lot of this story the Jewish people knew about because it was written down for them. And so what they had in their scripture at the time, in their Torah, in what we would call our Bible, what they had at the time was they had the story of creation and humans rebelling. And then they had the story of Israel being called into this promise, being called into this promise of pointing ahead till one day God would come and make things right again. And so Paul would have taught them this story, right? And he also knew by the time Paul was there, he had an encounter with Jesus, who was the one that was promised, who would come and make things right. That Jesus was the true image of God himself in the form of a human, making this partnership that was supposed to be there between God and humans full and perfect. That the fullness of God was in this man named Jesus. And he came and he lived the way that all humans were supposed to live. But then he also died like we're supposed to die because of our rebellion. And did the story end there? No, what happened next after Jesus died? You can say it. Yeah, that's right, Alsatia. He came back to life. Because remember the full power of God. He is God himself and the spirit of God dwelling in that body breathed life to him again. And he walked out of that tomb. And then, and then Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you that one day I am coming back and I am restoring this earth fully. In the meantime, this is what he told them. I'm giving you my spirit and you get to live in a way where you point forward to that. Now, the reason I drew that as a dotted line is because the people who lived during that time in a way had to kind of connect the dots. They had this story before of everything God had done up to that point and through Jesus, they knew what was coming in the end that, and this is what we're gonna read about this morning, that Jesus would return one day and make all things right. And in the meantime, they had to kind of connect those dots and live like this story was true. And that's kind of what this letter is, is here's how to live in that story and connect the dots. And now you and I come along and we read a bit of that story where we're connecting some of those dots and we get to fill that in a little bit. We get to connect those dots even more by the power of God's spirit teaching us and with the words that we have from this church a long time ago. Does that make sense? So let's try to connect some of those dots today. Let me put our screen back. So we're gonna open up to 2 Thessalonians and we're reading the first 12 chapters of that. This is what it says. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, We ask you, brothers and sisters, not to be easily upset or troubled either by a prophecy 
or by a message or by a letter supposedly from us, alleging that the day of the Lord has come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he sits in God's temple, proclaiming that he himself is God. Don't you remember that when I was still with you, I used to tell you about this. And you know what currently restrains him so that he will be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, but the one now restraining will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed. The Lord Jesus will destroy him with the breath of his mouth and will bring him to nothing at the appearance of his coming. The coming of lawless one is based on Satan's working with all kinds of false miracles, signs, and wonders, and with every wicked deception among those who are perishing. They perish because they did not accept the love of the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a strong delusion so that they will believe the lie, so that all will be condemned, those who did not believe the truth, but delighted in unrighteousness. This is God's word. Father, we pray that you would help us to understand. And more than understand, though, God, because we know there may be things that we're still confused about, that we're still fuzzy on, we pray that you would help us to be transformed by your word, that you would make us more and more into the image of your perfect son, Jesus, that we would truly partner with you in your creation and in your restoration. By the power of your spirit, to the glory of the Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I don't know if you guys caught it, but there are a couple, one or two, few, or maybe a lot of confusing things in this passage. Was anybody confused by anything that I read? Or is it just me? Maybe one of you should be teaching that. It was confusing for me. And I just want to kind of remind us that that's okay. In fact, there was another man who followed Jesus very closely, lived with him day in and day out for three years, named Peter, who knew Paul very well. And he himself said, sometimes Paul writes some confusing things. In fact, we have that verse. Let's get that up here. This is in one of Peter's letters, 2 Peter chapter 3. And he's also talking about, he's talking to another church about the returning of the Lord or what we would call the day of the Lord. And he says this, therefore, dear friends, while you wait for these things, he's telling them, be patient, God's patient. It will come though, but while you wait for these things, make every effort to be found without spot or blemish in his sight. That means fully trusting in him, being at peace. He says, also regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our dear brother Paul has written to you according to the wisdom given to him. And then this next verse of love, he speaks about these things in all his letters. There are some things hard to understand in them. Basically, he's saying, Paul's kind of confusing sometimes. And I like, like Peter was like a fisherman, you know, just kind of like a normal dude. And then Paul was a very educated Jewish man. And so I could relate more to Peter a lot, a lot of times. I'm like, yeah, this dude's confusing. Peter, just speak plainly, please. Tell me what's up. But he says this, he says, because the untaught and the unstable will twist those words to their own destruction as they also do with the rest of the scriptures. And so we're praying that we wouldn't twist these words because we don't understand them, but, or that we wouldn't allow other false teachers to come and twist them, which is what was happening to the church in Thessalonica, but that we would understand fully what God's saying. So 
Paul can be confusing sometimes. This is confusing. Let's talk about some of those confusing words, okay? I picked out three confusing words, and there were a lot more, but I just want to focus on the main three. So some confusing words we have up here, or phrases. The day of the Lord. Who knows what the day of the Lord is? When, when he comes and what? To redeem people? Yeah? And I heard you say something about heaven and earth. Yeah. Good. That's good. Eileen? When he comes back to life? Maybe. Look at that. What else? It's a weird one. We'll talk about it. Then we got apostasy. That's another weird word, right? What does apostasy mean? A lot of times people talk about it when it's someone who was in a church and in a belief system, and then they leave that belief. But I, I think there's something deeper there. And then lastly, I want to look at man of lawlessness. Do you remember it was talking about this man of lawlessness would come and he would sit in the place where God sits and he would claim to be God. And so what is that, right? What does that mean? And lawlessness just means without the law, without God's law, without the way God called us to live. So another translation for this has been the man of sin. And often this phrase has been used to talk about something else in our Christian culture that we hear a lot, this word antichrist. Have you guys ever heard that word? And a lot of people get this idea from books like Revelation that there's this antichrist who will come, maybe this political figure, but some kind of human who would come at the end times, right? And he would come and he would be this tool of Satan and maybe even be possessed by Satan himself to do all these terrible things, lawlessness against God and even claim to be God himself, right? And that this person would have to be destroyed before Jesus returns. And so that's one image we get. And I wanna look at that. I wanna look at, is that what Paul had in mind when he wrote this? And so that book, Revelation, I just talked about where that idea of Antichrist comes from a lot, was written by this guy named John. And I wanna read to you from one of John's letters. There's some debate if this is the same John or not, but you know what? Their writings were inspired by the same spirit either way, even if it's not the same John. But in a letter, John wrote this. He said, children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, listen, he says, even now many Antichrists have come. By this, we know that it is the last hour. So wait, I thought the Antichrist was this like one big bad dude who comes at the end times, right? But he's saying, no, there's already been lots of Antichrists. Here's another in 1 John 2. He says, they went out from us. He's talking about false teachers, which is what Thessalonians were dealing with. But they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them belongs to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One. And all of you know the truth. And he says, I have not written to you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it. And because no lies come from the truth. Who is the liar? He asks if not the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This one is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. So John's saying there's been many Antichrists. The Antichrist is anyone who is anti-Christ, right? Anyone who's opposing Jesus as being the king over the whole world. Anyone who's opposing Jesus coming from the Father, being one with God himself. Let's look at another one. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit. This comes from chapter four. But test the spirits, 
Remember Paul wrote this too when we went through 1 Thessalonians? He told them, don't despise prophetic words. Don't reject them, but test them all to make sure that they come from the Lord. And he says, the way you know is if they're talking about Jesus being the Lord, right? So John says the same thing. Test them to see if they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. Notice it's not capital A there. It's a a lowercase, right? This is not a name of a person. It's the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming. Even now, it is already in the world. So what he's saying is there's a spirit already at work in the world trying to build things up the way it wants it to be, not the way God wants things to be. That spirit's at work in the world, and it's at work in many. Okay, now we can go to the next one. In 2 John This is verse seven. He says, many deceivers have gone out into the world. They do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Many deceivers. This is the antichrist. There's a spirit at work in the world. There's a spirit of lies and deceit that is trying to turn your eyes away from Jesus to not believe the truth that Jesus has come from God, that he is God in the flesh and he has come to restore all things and to oppose him. That's what happened at the beginning in the garden with the first rebellion, right? It was to not trust what God had said and to oppose him, to say, I could be king over my own life. I don't need to submit to him. I think I, do I have one more verse, Patrick? Finally, we get examples of these antichrists or these men of lawlessness all throughout scripture. But here's one example. We went through Daniel last year. Daniel 11, verse 36. Then the king will do this, talking about a human king. Human king at that time was ruling. He will do whatever he wants. He will exalt and magnify himself above every God and he will say outrageous things against the God of gods. He will be successful until the time of wrath is completed because what has been decreed will be accomplished. So if you remember when we were talking, when we were going through the book of Daniel, they were under the Babylonian empire. So there was a king over Babylon, but then Babylon was defeated by the Medes and Persians. And there was King Cyrus who came in. And then he was defeated by Alexander the Great who Greece started running town then, right? And then eventually they were wiped out and overcome by Rome. And you had the Caesars of Rome who were in power. And what we see throughout scripture is each one of these are given as an example of a man of lawlessness, as an anti Christ, someone opposing God and claiming to be in the place of God. So we have all these examples, though, of these antichrists, people trying to take the throne for themselves and take the place of God. And that's why we need the day of the Lord to come. Now, do you know that in Scripture, the Jewish culture, they would refer to the day of the Lord not just as this future thing that would come at the quote-unquote end times, but they were talking about these men of lawlessness, these rulers, these human rulers who were trying to take the place of God being overthrown. And so our confusing word, day of the Lord, this is a day of salvation for God's people and judgment for their oppressors. Do you remember when Israel was brought out of Egypt? And we talk about this a lot, right? They crossed through the Red Sea, got split the water so they could go through safely. That was their salvation, God saved them. But what happened to the Egyptians, kids? 
Yeah, they're swallowed up by the water, right? That was their judgment. The day of the Lord always, always had both salvation for God's people who trusted him and judgment for those who opposed him or who were oppressing God's people. So just a couple quick examples of that from scripture. We have here in Isaiah 11. This is a big part of where the theme of the day of the Lord comes from is the book of Isaiah. And he says, he will judge the poor righteously, talking about God, and execute justice for the oppressed of the land. He will strike the land with a scepter from his mouth. He will kill the wicked with a command from his lips. You remember we read in 2 Thessalonians that Jesus would, verse eight, then the Lord Jesus will destroy the man of lawlessness with the breath of his mouth. The day of the Lord is King Jesus coming and doing away with the false king. Next verse in Isaiah 13, a pronouncement concerning Babylon. All right, so this is talking about very specifically, Isaiah was a prophet in the time of Babylon, very specifically how God's people were under Babylon control at the time. And listen what he says about it. If we jump down to verse six, He says, wail for the day of the Lord is near. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. So he's not talking about this future end of the world day. He's talking about Babylon's end. Verse nine, he says it again. Look, the day of the Lord is coming, cruel with fury and burning anger to make the earth a desolation and to destroy its sinners. Here's a crazy one. Are you guys ready for this? Let's go to the next one. In Zechariah, we see that the day of the Lord with judgment coming for those against God was not just against all the other nations besides Israel. That there was a day of the Lord coming for Israel too. Look, a day belonging to the Lord. Now stop right there. What does that mean? A day of the Lord, right? In fact, the NIV does a better job translating this and it literally says a day of the Lord. Reason it gets translated differently right there is because we have gotten in our minds this idea that the day of the Lord is the end of the world. So surely they weren't talking about that coming against Israel, right? So they slightly changed the way that they ordered those words. But it's the day of the Lord is coming when plunder is taken from you. It's talking to Israel. And you will be divided. It will be divided in your presence. And it goes on to say all these terrible things, actually, that are about to happen to Israel from these other nations, that God's allowing them to come and do battle against them and bring judgment on them. Why? Because Israel, who was God's chosen people, called to show the world what it looks like to really partner with God, to build the way God wanted to build things up, they too rejected and rebelled against God. They also became those men and women of lawlessness. They gave into that other weird word, that confusing word we're gonna look at right now, called apostasy. Apostasy doesn't just mean you once believed something and now you believe something else. It literally means a rebellion or a defection. A defection means when you're like in battle and you decide I'm no longer fighting for this nation, I'm gonna fight for this nation. So switching sides, being a traitor against a king or a ruler in the midst of a conflict. All right, it's a lot of weird, confusing stuff, I know. And I went through a lot of verses. Here's the point. Here's the point. For the Thessalonians at that time, they were living in a city that was very much built around a certain way of life. 
and it was the Roman way of life. And they were trying to get after what they called the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. In fact, that was after worship of a Roman goddess called Pax. And they, were, they had this way of life that included the way that they would trade, the way they would make money, the way that they would provide for themselves. And now you have people coming in, giving this message that all that has to get torn down. It would sound like the end of the world in a way. For Israel, when Babylon came, they were taken from their city in Jerusalem. They were taken from the temple where they worshiped. Their whole way of life twisted and torn. It seemed like the end of the world for them. Then Babylon was the great world power, right? And when the Persians and the Medes came in and they defeated them, that would seem like the end of the world as they knew it. The way the world was had completely changed. It would be like America completely falling apart. Some of you are probably thinking it's not far off, right? And somebody else coming in and setting up government and we're no, America doesn't exist and we belong to another nation, another empire. And in a lot of ways, for many of us, you might feel like that was the end of the world. In fact, there's a lot of talk going on right now in 2020 about the end times and the end of the world coming because the way the world is as we know it seems like it's changing. It seems like it's getting torn down. And sometimes what that does is that strikes a lot of fear in people because you feel like this is my life. This is the way it is. I can't see it any differently. How am I going to provide for myself? What about the comforts that I've enjoyed in this way? If that's all taken from me, then what? And I want to say that if that's our response, and it's been mine, our hope is entirely in the wrong thing. That God has to come and start taking those Legos apart. That the empires of this world have to fall in order for God to rebuild his kingdom the way it was meant to be. And so when we read this text in 2 Thessalonians, we get caught up in things like, oh man, this day of the Lord and vengeance coming and this man of lawlessness and who is this? And there's this rebellion. In fact, the heading of your chapter two might say the same thing as mine. Mine says the man of lawlessness. Anyone have something similar? As if that's what this chapter is about, the man of lawlessness. But can we reread verse one again real quick? What's Paul's topic sentence? He says, now concerning the coming of who? Our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him. What is this about? Who is this about? Is it about this weird, scary figure that might come someday and, and start destroying the world as we know it, the end of the world, the end times? Or is it about the true king who is coming to gather his people together with him and to bring restoration and healing? Not the end times, but the renewal of times. Not the end of the world, but the restoration of all things. That's what Paul's writing about. If you remember last week, Anthony pointed out Verse three of chapter one in First Thessalonians, the first letter he wrote, said, hey, let's talk about your faith, your love, and your hope. Verse three of the second letter in chapter one, he says, hey, good job on your faith and your love. He left out hope. Remember Anthony talked about because they had started to lose hope. 
They started to fix their eyes on the world around them and going, this is life as we know it. And people are telling us that this Jesus is not truly coming to save us. What do we have? And many people started going back to their old way of life, finding their hope again in the Roman gods, finding their hope again in the Roman way of life. And Paul's saying, listen, your faith and your love are there. Let's talk about your hope. Jesus is coming. He's not writing to give them fear. He's not writing to give them some kind of code to crack about when the end of the world is gonna come. He's writing to give them hope. Jesus is returning. He's the true king. He will do away with this false kingdom that's broken and it leaves you oppressed and he will restore all things. Have hope, Jesus is coming. That's good news. Paul had to write this to his friend Timothy too, who sent this letter. In fact, in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, he says this. And he says, for it is said right before this. And so this was a saying that the early church would tell themselves and remind themselves. It wasn't written down necessarily anywhere, but he says, it is said this, the saying is true. If we died with him, that's Jesus, we will also live with him. That means if you're willing to lay down your life as you know it, Stop finding your comforts and your joys and your satisfactions in what you have built. Die to that. You will also rise with him to new life. If we endure, we will also reign with him. Church in Thessalonica, I know it's hard. I know people are oppressing you. Endure. Do not grow weary of doing good. Do not lose hope. Endure. Missio. It's a weird time in our world. Endure. And the power of the spirit. So we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. This is our call is to remember the good news, the joy we have, who the true king is and to be gathered to him. Verse one, remember, now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him. This is what Jesus said to Jerusalem when he came. He's, he's last week of his life. He knows he's going to his death and he looks over the city and he goes, Jerusalem, and he's weeping. Jerusalem, how I would have loved to have gathered you under my wings like a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you weren't willing. You loved your structures that you built. You loved your own way of life. If you would be willing, I would gather you under my protection. N.T. Wright talks about that verse in a way that he says, like, there's been times where people have found in barnyard fires a mother hen who has been fried to a crisp, but her wings were covering over her chicks and the chicks were safe. And this is what Jesus is saying. I'm about to go to my death to cover you with my love, with my protection, so that the coming day of the Lord, the ultimate final coming day of the Lord would be salvation for those who trust him, who would be gathered under his arms. But don't forget, it will also be judgment for those who oppose him. Are you willing to be gathered to our King Jesus? Or are you busy chasing after these other things this world has to offer to bring us comfort? That's our challenge this morning, you guys. Would you pray with me that the spirit of God would indwell in us and help us to be gathered to him, to fully trust him and worship him as our king. God, we ask for your grace, 
and your mercy. God, we ask for hope to fill our hearts. That we would see the truth of your kingdom and it would illuminate the lies of the kingdoms of this world. The things that our politics offer us, the things that our way of life and our comforts offer us, that they will all fail and they will all get torn down. But may we fix our eyes on you and your coming kingdom. May we, by your power of your spirit, enter into partnership with you in rebuilding and restoring as a picture of what you are finally and fully going to do one day, Jesus, when you return. And may this be for the glory of your Father, our God, the God of gods, the God above all gods. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.